The food and beverage industry is unlike any other. It is as romantic as it is pragmatic, as artisan as it is regulated. The leaders in this industry are just as dynamic. In this podcast, we will talk to the industry's leading minds across executive leadership, marketing and innovation, operations, finance, and human resources to learn what trends are defining success and how to stay ahead of the competition. I'm a foodie and so are our guests. These are insights for food people by food people. So, you know, the market is pulled back a bit. It's rallied back, but, you know, it's still over a certain, if you look back, it's still down. And what that created is a denominator problems for many of the largest funds. What that means is they now have to mark to market. So the size of their assets that they're marking, a lot of their startups went bad. Okay. So all of a sudden their overall asset base is maybe a little smaller, but as a percentage of their portfolio, their risk assets are now greater. And so they're over allocated. And because of the shrinking denominator, they now ha- are over allocated to maybe private equity or venture. And, a, and as a result, the people at the top of the pyramid aren't writing the checks. And what that means is now the private equity fund or the VC fund can't raise its next fund. So the people that if you're a startup trying to raise money, people who you're asking money for, I mean, angels are not going through this, but if you're asking for institutions to write checks that are not corporates, they don't know when they're going to be able to raise their next fund. They may be struggling to raise their next fund and they're highly focused on their existing portfolio. And if they're a well-run fund, they're not going to cross invest across funds. So, and they're going to be increasing their reserves for their existing portfolio companies as opposed to deploying into new investments as much. And as a result, there's less money for you. And that's a denominator problem. And how then do you make sure you're the one that stands out? Because they're not investing as readily into new ventures, right? That that makes complete sense. They're reserving for their existing portfolio. And especially with commodity prices, the way that they have been the last year or so, it's been, and labor costs, what they have been. How do you make sure you stand out? I hear the question, but I write the good book, do everything I can, but ultimately, I don't think about that denominator yeah. problem. I don't get paid to whine to my board. And I miss the part in my job description where being a great storyteller of why things aren't working. That's not part of my job description. My job is to solve the problem. So it doesn't matter what kind of headwinds or capital market. It's like, I'm not paid to say, well, the capital markets for vertical farming aren't very good right now. You know, board, that's not what they, I get paid to do. I get paid to solve the problem when we all shake off that sense of entitlement and say, it's my job to go, I don't care if 90% of the ag tech investors that maybe would have written a check before into my space are now just, they won't even look at my deck. That just comes with it. Who cares? It's irrelevant. I still got a job to do. So get over it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Drop the sense of entitlement and go do your job. I... Love that, that extreme accountability. There is no excuse that, I mean, those might be the realities, but that's just at the end of the day, an excuse. So you move on and find the 10% that are still investing. Yes, that's my job. Here. And, you know, because when I say, oh, there's a denominator problem, we're talking about trillions of dollars of capital flows. Literally, yep. I can't find 15 million bucks on this planet. That's how you reframe the question. And if you like, literally, if if I were on board of a startup in the they were had a $20 million cap raise and they they were like, God, there's just no audience right now. I'm like, 
There's trillions of dollars on this planet. You need to go get 20 million. Do your job. I love, I love, love, love that. And, you know, you mentioned how if you, you know, if you're a founder and you don't have fundraising experience, bring somebody on board who does. What's your position on hiring bankers or an advisory firm to help run your raise? Run your raise? Uh, I think it works for later stage companies. You know, if you're a, a company with that has already broken through the noise, you're probably yeah. known in your space already as a breakout company. Yeah, I think hiring bankers is a good way to go. If you're B or earlier, bankers aren't going to help you. Why is that? I mean, they can. Where a banker's yeah. going to help you is this statement was invented about commercial bankers, but it's just as true about investment bankers and an advisory mm -hmm. firm. Bankers give you an umbrella on a sunny day and they take it away when it's raining. So if it's a challenging market cycle and we're yeah. not in the easiest market, like in my space right now, what yeah. are bankers gonna do for me? They're gonna charge me their mandatory minimum. They're gonna take yeah. 6% around and probably waste a lot of our time trying to get them up to speed. And then they're gonna two months into it come to me and say, you know what, our network's not, not biting. Along the lines of resources you can utilize that love to bill, Tell me about how involved you have lawyers in outlining either your pitch deck or your terms. How involved is legal counsel? That's such a tough question. Uh, I know what I'm supposed to say, but this literally, it depends on your level of proficiency in the area. I have so many templates on file since accumulated over 30 yeah. years. And I yeah. know the business of what I'm trying to accomplish much better. Yeah. I mean, if I'm doing highly complex securities work that is outside of my pay grade, like I had to do a recapitalization or something like that, lawyers are deep. If I'm doing a simple straight up convertible note, sorry, don't need a lawyer for that. Got the template. Yeah. I know what I need to change. And 99% of the only things that are changing are the numbers and the yeah. company and stuff like that. So, and, and this gets back to it is, again, I would say, okay, Everyone should plug their ears. Forget what you just heard. Consult with your attorney, please. This now, is merely Adrian's perspective. Attorneys have a role, but if they're good, yep. attorneys have all these forms on file. Yeah. And I'm not going to say anything, but I just got an invoice for this company I work at for $50,000 for a month's worth of work, which when I heard that I got invoiced that much and it was for work, I didn't commission and sort of I inherited. And I know it's paperwork that I yeah. could have drafted myself. You know, there's many things I can't do. I read contracts like comic books. It's what I do. I've been redlining since I was 21. I probably have an honorary law degree in, in a certain <laughs> a certain level. And so I've I've had a lot of lawyers comment like this yeah. is, you yeah. know, you do work at a third level associate a third year associate yeah. level. So I'm comfortable in that area. I don't need that much support on the vanilla stuff. If you do, go get it. Because if you don't know what the word participating preferred means, you probably shouldn't be writing your own prefer participating preferred materials. Yeah, I've read your material, Adrian. You could certainly, if you wanted a major downgrade in, in career, you could certainly be a lawyer at any point in time. Um, uh, no. Too much fun uh, <laughs> in vertical farming. Are you crazy? Good. Keep it that way. So tell me about some creative ways to raise capital and get funding, because I know we had kind of talked about this with Wilder Fields, right? What are some ways to get creative? Well, you start with your existing cap table. 
unless you're truly at square zero, you have an idea and you haven't capitalized the company at all. You look at who you got and you branch out from there. And you literally, I think about it like a, a data driven approach. Who is that person? Why did they invest? I mean, I sort of have an interesting cap table over here, not like one I've ever dealt with. I got three Orthodox Jews on my board. Well, Orthodox Jews are a very tight knit community. And there's a high degree, and I get to speak a little Jewish here, mishpucha factor uh, going on. So again, remember I said trust is required. Well, that community functions with a high degree of trust. I have an, and again, I'm not talking about bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars. So I don't need institutional money. So for me, I work with what I got. I see who's on my cap table, who can they get me to? That's always your best source of money. You know, if you're starting the cold calling, it's probably not going to work that well. And then hopefully, you know, you do the regular roadshowy kind of things. You set up a, a whole series of meetings. You, you're you at conferences pitching your company. You probably have be doing a certain amount of PR uh, before a cap raise. Uh, so your name's out there. You get to conferences and, you know, most industries have sort of their VC type forums. And then again, don't be scared to ask for advice. It's shocking if you do the work super refreshing to as for me as a CEO to actually get an inquiry that I might marginally be interested in on LinkedIn that's not trying to sell me SEO or SEM services, but it's something I actually might be able to do something with. Like if someone said to me, hey, Adrian, you're in vertical farming and you've raised money in this space and I'm also in ag tech. Can you think about any ag tech investors that might be useful to me? Well, if I'm not going to help that person you know, through a little free information. My point is it's out there. You can do that type of stuff through LinkedIn, you know, and when I, before I took the job with Wilder Fields, I knew nothing about the space as you know that, but I needed to know. And, you know, I got on the phone, many investment leads from top investment banking houses and equity research analysts to ask their advice. What should I know about vertical farming? What do you think? What's your thesis on the sector? Oh, by the way, uh, I know you deal with a lot of people on the sell side and on the buy side. Who do you think is still playing the space? Most people, if they don't feel you're trying to sell them something and you're just genuinely seeking information, they'll give you, if they're good people, they'll give you your time. And, my, and this is what most people don't get, I, I find. The higher the quality of the person in the chair, the more likely you are, they are to give you free time. But we're so reluctant to ask for it. And it's, feels far away. And now I will say, Adrian, reverting back to my initial comment, you are extremely charismatic. You're also exceptionally brilliant. And I know this about you. And so I I mean, I'd want to talk to you for 10 minutes if you want. I know. Now it's just pure flattery. But really, I think, you know, you have to be, it goes back to that. Wow. If you're more reluctant or timid and you're not pitching it in a way that actually conveys some sort of value, it might be some bad PR for the business. Whereas, yeah, and, and yeah. you actually brought up a good point, Lynn, and I'm going to be a little too self-aware in space and time. I would ask the audience of this podcast to think, do I remember everything he said or do I believe everything he said? And there's a difference. The content is not the words. It's what they're hearing behind the voice. It's the passion, the energy. And They may not know if I'm right, but they know I believe it. There's no doubt I believe that anyone listening 
in this call doesn't believe every word that came out of my mouth was sort of words i believe my independent thinking things that you know i run my personal book off of and as a result it makes people more susceptible to it because yeah. it's my truth doesn't mean it's right but when there's that in a pitch it's the body language it's the energy it's all those intangibles that's why i'm saying it's not about what's on slide 18 on the at the fifth bullet point it's yeah. the how of it and that's also back to how i can tell you you're the most interesting man alive because that's my opinion and i fully believe that and i'm sure everybody uh-huh. listening to this podcast will believe it uh, or at least believe that i believe that and tell me, we talked a bit about your your investors, your current board. Tell, what is the ideal board makeup for an organization, particularly if you're going through fundraising? How much does that matter? Well, I mean, I, there's the expression, uh, I guess I would have to say, open paren, S, close paren, she. She who has the gold makes the rules. Your board's always going to be people who've probably deployed capital into your, into your company. But a good board is going to bring various skill sets based on where the company is, the type of company is, and its evolution. And you try not to have too many people who perform the same function within the board. And I have a board that has a high degree of collinearity. I have two basic voices when I probably need, you know, outside of management, sort of my investor voice, which is sort of that tight knit group I referenced before. And that brings a very monolithic experience of, and they all sort of had successful businesses and they built them over very long periods of time. I put them in the proven common sense entrepreneurial group, which I love. I'm very fortunate to have, have that. And then I have a group of food industry pros, very senior people who know sort of the the client side of my business. Also, I'm super fortunate to have them because that's the one area I'm in this business where I say I'm a little wet behind the ears. Is it's my first time selling into grocery, supermarket, and yes. hypermarket. So I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. Those are two really good skill sets. But one of the reasons I think the board hired me is they realized we need a guy or gal who can raise lots of money, has controlled environment, agricultural experience and lots of startup experience. So I checked a lot of boxes for them. But when I think about the fundraising side, do I want to be the only voice in the room? Because inherently, if my lead investors see it one way, and I'm the only person with true institutional fundraising experience, it's much easier for me to have a second voice in the room. So I look at what I need to accomplish, the big things that are going to steer my narrative. That's important. I would also say, having someone with uh, more formal ag experience, you know? So I have the client side, but I don't have any, it'd be great to have someone from like Syngenta or ADM on my board, you know, just someone like that. Uh, so if you're listening, give me a call. I was gonna uh, say, I know a couple people, Adrian, I'll refer you. Yeah, I know, but, you're, but I'm broke and you're in a startup. You know, so I think about the exercise, you know, and I break it into its component parts. Am I an ag company? Yes. Do I have ag advisory? No. Do we got to raise lots of money? Yes. Do I have another voice in the room that can help me with that? Or, you know, do a sanity check so it's not always me saying we need to go left, not yeah. right, uh, if, that, if it comes down to that. So did I have that? No. So that's a conversation that yeah. you have and you just think about what are the key things that I need? I mean, that's the hard evaluation. There's the soft evaluation. 
and it's and that's the far most important piece mission vision values you know big fan of warren buffett you can't do a good deal with bad people and i've, I've been in a room with my share of bad people that's a shitty boardroom to be in and i'd say you got to be real careful about who you let into your life as especially if and all you founders out there character presents when your back is up against it and it's all fun when the dream's alive but you may find out who's in that actually in the room when it starts to get a little messier so look for the tells well and tell me what because i've you know i i know a couple of female founders who took on some institutional capital and it went horribly wrong for them. How, what red flags do businesses, founders need to look out for when they're talking to investors? Well, first of all, are they qualified? I had one person in my last company who we took money from and he said he was an accredited investor, but I get to tell by the questions he asked and you know, some of the things he said, I'm like, this guy has thrown everything that he has saved at this company. And it, we were not an appropriate investment for someone in that position. And guess what? He checked the boxes, but I knew it was going to be a problem and it was a problem. So trust your nose. And this is easy to say, really hard to do. Be mindful. You're a broke startup about to go out of business. And so, wow. And someone's finally offering me the check. That's the devil on the one shoulder. You got to listen to your angels. Is this really, are my spidey senses tingling here at all? Because you try to cut a good deal with bad people. Guess what? You would say, well, if I didn't take the money, my company might have failed. Well, you may find you just put five more years in, you own nothing and they own it all. So you failed awfully slowly and probably have three years of PTSD as a result. The women founders that I had talked with, they were not sophisticated capital raisers and the deals were structured in such a way that ultimately that's what happened. They worked themselves silly for five years, were all did, and now they are without business and the investors have brought in new leadership teams. And, you know, other than Spidey Sense, are there reference checks? Are there, wh- what do you, how do you verify that somebody is who they say they are? Oh, you insist on them. Yeah. Just because someone's giving you a check, if they're, if they're an adult, Don't respect the ass. And, you know, I'll ask the tough question. Tell me about a deal that didn't work out. Great. I see that you invested in Facebook. Good for you. Tell me about two companies that failed and how did you treat the entrepreneur? I often talk about when I am meeting with our recruiting team, the most challenging business development call I ever had was Ted LeBeau. He asked me, I need two references and they need to be references where you placed a candidate and that candidate didn't work out and you had to reestablish that relationship. And I had never been asked for a reference like that. And I was just, it was so, and I, I had him right. And I was thrilled, to it, but it was such a different perspective, right? That he was looking for. I don't want to hear your success stories, right? Tell me about how do you treat people when it doesn't go the way that you anticipated? I love that you would ask that. Yeah. I think that's and, great. And, you know, it's like, and, and but think about it rational because yeah. this is great. A lot of people don't want to trust A as A. It yeah. walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's a duck. You as the institutional investor have spent the last six weeks throwing me chin high fastballs, giving me a proctology exam without any, you know, lidocaine or novocaine. <laughs> I throw a couple your way and you balk. Well, all of a sudden I start to feel like I know I'm dealing with a, a thin-skinned narcissist 
or someone who hasn't been around because someone who's been around they'll tell you how they handled it they'll have situations and they'll own it and they'll say this might happen and they'll look you dead in the eye and they say and this might happen to you our investment thesis is not this but at least you know you'll deal with someone who come in the front door with you and not coming through the back door i love that and then you can ask as much as you want it's like how much opportunity did you give that person to course correct you know you have the right to ask your questions they don't have to answer them but if it scares them off if they're the type of investor that you scare off that is scared off by you wanting to know who you're going to business with i mean you're, you're trying to get me to write a check i might say wow i might say that's forward but you know what I, my real takeaway from that is i'm like this person will be a good steward of my money if they won't advocate on their own behalf they definitely won't on yours right and i don't want to say it's conflict if they're not up to you know navigating uncomfortable conversations not the person I want stewarding my capital in the chair because their entire life as a startup executive is going to be uncomfortable situations. Oh, you are so, so right. Now, any other major takeaways? Think audience, mostly founders, right? Looking to raise capital. Any big message, final takeaways that you want to make sure they hear loud and clear? I mean, again, they're just, these aren't the headlines, but they're definitely ideas. Write a script, literally write out every word, say it, read it to yourself, and then put it away. You know, be natural in the room. Understand you're always working backwards from what the person wants the, on the other side is trying to accomplish. I mean, I, I think we've covered a lot of information here, Lynn. I don't think I have um, that much more I would volunteer. Oh, here's one. Do a lot of dry runs on your pitch and have your book ready well before you need to raise money. So then you give it to people who you trust, professionals. How about this? You know, you go reach out to a LinkedIn contact. Hey, you're a really experienced VC. I know this isn't your sector, but you look at these things all the time. I've never done this before. Could you take 15 minutes and look at my book? I love that. Or if you have smart insiders, have them look at your book. And I'll tell you, and I had an employee who gave me one of my favorite expressions. Feedback is a gift. Yes. And most of us get defensive on it. And the second someone starts doing exactly what you asked them, which is to give you the constructive, you start justifying, well, this is why that's in there. Just shut up, listen, mm -hmm. take it in. They're saying it for a reason. So give people your book in advance, take that feedback, incorporate it in, even if like I just did it with one of my board members. He, he had something he felt should be in the book. I disagreed with him, but I'm like, I don't have a monopoly on what's right. I, bu I built the slide and he's happy now because his <laughs> needs are being met. And guess what? He's he's going to be out there repping the company. So he yes. should have a book that speaks to how he wants to speak to the company. And, you know, yep. not opinions are like buttholes. Everyone's got one. Not everyone's is right. And so you have to be the final content editor. But solicit the feedback. Give yourself enough time in your. Oh, another piece of advice. How to think about your raise. But this is stuff people can read in book. You know, you should assume your round's going to take six to nine months. That's how long your round's going to take to close. And when you do a round, you should be giving yourself at least 24 months runway. And you should be thinking about that capitalization round from a milestones perspective. This is about, I'll use your career and your world to make sense of this for people. Never take a job unless it leads you to the job you really want, right? The job you're about to take 
should be setting you up to get to the next job you really want. Similarly, fundraising is the same way. I need to think about work backwards from who's my next round of investors? What's that business plan look like? How much money am I going to be asking for? Okay, I think it's a $40 million raise. What milestones, what kind of people do I have to have around that makes sense of 40 million? I mean, I'm going to need people writing five, $10 million checks. So people who write those size checks, I'd be a C-series company at that point in time. What will I have to have validated? What are their metrics? Again, I'm not thinking about what I need to know, what I want to accomplish. I'm thinking about what do they need to see? And all of us, like literally, and I did this with the team here, is I said, well, we're going to need to be at least north of $15 million of revenue, flirting with profitability, if already profitable. Okay, what's the business plan that I can get believe in that we can execute against that writes that. And it forces you to build the business according to what is going to attract the capital you need to stay alive because newsflash, until you're profitable, you are by definition not sustainable. I love that, but that perspective, right? It's not like you're, if your one year goal is 10 million, if that's not what your investor needs to hear, that can't be your goal, right? If, if you yeah. need to secure that investment to survive. Yeah, um, I mean, if, yeah. so you think about Who's my next round of investors? What's that raise look like? What metrics are they going to need to see? And and based on that, how much money is it going to take me to accomplish those things before I have to go back to market? And that informs your present choices. I do have to ask before we go, is it true that you leap tall buildings in a single bound? Or is that just a rumor? No, you, you have me confused. I'm actually the guy who messages with animals and the cops are looking for me because of it. So no, I, I I have that telepathic animal thing. I am so grateful. I know I went over. Thank you so much, Adrian. It is always such a pleasure to bug you. Thanks everyone for listening. Before we go, let me remind you to please subscribe, rate, and write a review and send this episode to anyone in your professional network who you think would benefit. The food and beverage industry is more nuanced than any other, making industry insights critical for success. From one foodie to another, wishing you great food and great success until next time.